Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 21st, 2017. On today's show, there really isn't any news worth talking about. So I took to Twitter. We asked for your questions. We're going to do an all-mailbag episode, and we're going to try to answer your questions. On today's episode, I have with me Ben Pearson. Hey, how's it going? Jack Drew. Thanks for having me. And Brad Omen. Hey, that's me. And of course, I'm Peter Shreda. As always, with the, the mailbox, you can send your questions to peter at slashfilm.com. Leave your name and general geographic location. And in case we mention on there, we can mention who sent it in. Uh, Max asks, what is your favorite theme park ride? Ben, what is yours? Uh, mine is an easy one. It's the Indiana Jones Adventure at Disneyland. Uh, I actually have the artwork for the ride that was done by Drew Struzan framed on my wall right now because it's a really awesome Indiana Jones poster and it has like the Jeep and stuff that you ride, you know, the ride vehicle uh, on there and it has the audience with Indy and a whip and the, the idol with one eye and everything in the background. It's a really cool piece of art. You should check that out. Just Google image, search it. Um, but yeah, I love this ride. It's, it's, you know, I, I was thinking about this and if you would have asked me this question 10 years ago or something, I'm almost certainly would have given a roller coaster as an answer, but the older I get, the less uh, capable I am of riding roller coasters. I think just like my personal um, constitution is not, (laughs) I'm not up for it anymore, man. It just messes with my stomach too much. So uh, this one is like a good mix of like, I love all of the, uh, the whole vibe of the ride and it's not, it doesn't like flip you upside down and uh, corkscrew you or anything like that. So, uh, so yeah, it's a good one for me. That is a good ride. Uh, Speaking of roller coasters, Brad, what is your favorite ride? Gotta go with space mountain, man. It's a classic. It's a really fun roller coaster. It's not, uh, you know, a crazy daredevil roller coaster, but it's cool because it's, it's indoor and it goes dark and it's got the, the cool, uh, you know, lighting system and everything makes you feel like you're going through hyperspace. Uh, I've just always liked it. Have you have you gone on both space mountains, Florida and, and uh, Anaheim? No, I've actually never been to uh, Disney World, so I haven't been to Florida yet. Ah. Uh, my favorite ride is probably Pirates of the Caribbean. I, I am theme over thrill many you know nine out of ten times you know i i want to be immersed in another world and uh 
which is probably why in in you know a couple of years my answer will change to Star Wars Land. But for right now, I really enjoy Pirates of the Caribbean. Jack, what is your favorite theme park ride? My favorite theme park ride is the Anaconda at Kings Dominion in Richmond, Virginia. What is and that? Yeah, it's a, I'm not a big theme park guy, but uh, it's just a big roller coaster where a lot of loops goes real fast, real aggressive. You go in like a tunnel underground and just like a piercing noise hits your ears. And I just remember so many times where I would go to that theme park and just get on that ride again and again. And I'd probably pick that one mostly just because good memories. But yeah, that's probably one of my favorite theme parks too. I actually just found out that Danny McBride worked there for a few years, I think. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Um, I just went to the LA County Fair over the weekend and looking at all these rides that just whip you around, going back to what Ben says, as a kid, I wanted to experience all that. But uh, nowadays, I'm like, you know, I don't want to be whipped around. <laughs> it's a younger man's game, Peter. <laughs> I mean, I can still see the appeal of a roller coaster. I want to go fast and like, you know, up and down. But like, I don't see these things that like have like an arm on it and just like throw you around like a, a rag doll. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Why do people want to experience that? I don't know. Okay, let's move on. Uh, another question. Tim L. asks, what movies and people do you consider award contenders for those who have for, yeah for those movies that have already been released this year for me the number one would be war for the planet of the apes i think that this trilogy and this movie should get recognized for the by the academy uh either be it uh with best, best picture which is maybe a slim option uh be it with best director matt reeves and uh if not that the Academy needs to reckon, recognize Indy Circus's work, his performance capture work. Um, I feel like, you know, he has been snubbed so many times. Uh, I think this this is one, in my mind, one of the best trilogies, you know, the best trilogy since Indiana Jones for me. And, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings got all those awards the last time around. Uh, I think this is time for, for War for the Planet of the Apes, but it's probably not going to happen. So I'm not a huge Oscar expert, but I think as far as the stuff that's come out so far, I can't think of anything that would be more of a lock than Get Out, uh, Jordan Peele's first um, directorial debut. And I, but I'm then sure Oscar so white. <laughs> well, that's part of the reason that I'm so confident that it's going to be recognized in some form is because in response to Oscar so white, um, a lot more people have joined the academy since then uh people of color you know they've they've really um you know made an effort to uh, increase the diversity in the ranks of the people who are going to be voting for the oscars this year so i think um and, and that's not to take anything away from get out which i think is a legitimately great movie on its own um but i think that uh it has a chance maybe for best picture it's one of those movies that it came out early this year Year, but people are still talking about it now. Um, I imagine it's going to hold all the way through, and I would not be surprised to see it get like a writing nomination or maybe even like a best director nomination too. So, um, yeah, that, that's the one I would put money on. Brad, we we know what your answer is. I mean, would you know what my answer was before you saw it? On? I would if I looked at your Twitter feed. I, I would just know. Peter, I haven't said a, a lick about this movie at all, ever. <laughs> so, no, I mean, it's, okay. it's not like you're not quoted on the trailer or on all the advertising ever, anywhere. You know, I go on IMDb, there's a quote from you. 
it is you know it's it's the big sick it's uh yeah it's seriously it has to be the big sick uh the movie is it's fantastic all around it's so good and um i'm not sure i hope that it has the chance of getting a best picture nomination i feel like it has the legs to if only because it's the the angle in which it, it presents the uh, a romantic comedy is so different from what you usually expect from romantic comedy it has cultural relevance and it's it connects to people on a different level than most romantic comedies do it's very it's uh you know like like my like the pull quote i have said it's extremely authentic it feels very true to life uh and you fall in love with these characters and you're with them every step of the way and so if, if it's not big enough to get a best picture nomination i think it's almost a lock to get a best original screenplay nomination for sure i love that movie but i am not confident enough in the academy to recognize it jack what is your pick uh my pick is dunkirk which i don't know if i would have picked dunkirk if i didn't see it in imax recently which i thought actually made it a better movie for me and i just think it's incredible and my only thing about that movie is i don't think it will get rewarded in some categories i think it deserves to like the writing or the performances because i think it's subdued in a lot of ways you know you don't get those big war speeches or the things you usually see in the Oscar clips. So I don't think, you know, you'd see Mark Rylance nominated, even though I feel like he should be. But I feel like that movie in almost every category should be recognized. I mean, it definitely seems like this is Chris Nolan's big play for that gold statue. Like, it it reeks of, like, I need it, guys. I really, (laughs) really need that statue. Um, I'll I'll give my opinion on Dunkirk later on. Uh, Let's move on to the next question. Robert asks... Best upcoming TV shows for autumn win- slash winter. What show are you most excited for? Um, I'm going to kind of cheat here. Uh, and I know a bunch of you are saying new shows. But Stranger Things 2 is the show that I am most anticipating. Uh, coming out this Halloween. Uh, obviously, Stranger Things is a huge phenomenon. Uh, and I, I want to see what happens next. You know, like I'm, I'm looking forward to this show, and they're promoting it like a sequel. And I'm looking forward to this show, much in the same way I would a highly anticipated sequel, movie sequel. Uh, I would say of the new shows that are coming up, The Deuce looks the most interesting to me, and that's the one uh, from David Simon, who's the guy behind The Wire. Uh, it takes place in the 1970s in New York during like the um, the rise of the porn industry in. And Times Square and all that. And uh, James Franco plays two characters. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal is in it. There's, it has a, a really good cast. Uh, and yeah, just the idea of David Simon returning to HBO um, for a new show is something that definitely piques my interest. Uh, I also went with a new show because it's so easy to pick a show that you already love that you're excited to come back, Peter. <laughs> uh, so I went with a show called AP Bio, which is a I've new I've never even heard of this. What is yeah, the show? It is. It's a new network comedy that will be coming. Um, I don't think it's coming out in the fall, but I think it's a mid-season series that's coming to NBC. Um, it's going to star Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Patton Oswalt. And it also comes from a bunch of Saturday Night Live people. Uh, Seth Meyers, Michael Bryan, Lauren Michaels, and Mike Shoemaker are all producers on it. So... I, it's just as a huge comedy nerd, I'm very excited to see how it turns out. And Jack, what is your answer? My answer is the ninth season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and it's been such a long wait—like six years. 
But between those six years, I've rewatched that show so many times, and I just can't get enough of it. Like, there's not a weak season to me. It's always I just always find it funny. So I'm looking forward to those ten episodes of just laughing my ass off. Do you think that Curb will have to change with the times? Like, I feel like it's a it's a it's a much different time now than it was before when that show was first on. I feel like if it was a new show, people would respond differently differently to the character Larry David. But I feel like people know what to expect from him now in that show style of humor. That I don't think there will be too many complaints. If that's what you mean, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, Mike asks, what is your favorite guilty pleasure TV show? I will start this one out because, uh, me and my girlfriend Kitra, we watch a bunch of Bravo. She watches more Bravo than me. And I think I've mentioned in a previous podcast, I watch a million dollar listing New York, which is kind of like following these real estate agents in New York. Um, and it's a really bad reality show. The other really bad reality show that I, I love, and this is probably my favorite, is on Bravo. It's called Flipping Out, and it follows this uh, designer, Jeff Lewis, who, when the show first started, he basically was flipping houses in L.A., and um, he's grown into becoming more of a designer for hire, and it follows him and his team, and he is kind of uh, a dickhead and an asshole to his team. And it, it, part, part of the, uh, the the fun of the show is is watching that. Um, but yeah, and that, that just came back on last night. I was super excited to watch that show. Ben, what is your favorite guilty pleasure? So I'm going to be the douchebag on this episode who says nothing. I don't have one. Um, you guys were giving me a hard time about this before we started recording. And the reason I don't have one is because Ben, ben only uh, watches good stuff. Well, Everything <laughs> I watch is so cool. My God, I'm the coolest person in Slash Room. <laughs> so, so basically, the answer is uh, all of the TV is so good right now. And, and all of the stuff that my wife and I watch is like funneled through these expectations from other people or just from like you know, our own personal preferences or whatever, we don't have a ton of time to watch stuff together. So we just sort of make it count and we don't really have a uh, guilty pleasure TV shows that are just like, Oh, you throw on in the background. And like, I don't really watch anything while I'm working or anything like that. I know a lot of people do. Um, so I just don't really have the time <laughs> for no reality shows of any kind. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too, is like, I used to work in reality television and what, what, saw, what did you do in reality TV? Oh God. So I uh, I transcribed footage like the raw tapes that were shot out in the field because the network, uh, every network needs a record of all of the stuff that was captured on every tape, regardless of whether or not it actually ends up in the final show just for legal purposes. So they need somebody to go through and watch all of those tapes and write down what everyone is saying. So that was me and a bunch Holy of other shit. That's yeah. awful. Yes, yes, it was. But, and and, and uh, that's not even the job of the closed captioning. Like, this is just right. for internal use. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's it's it's insane. it's not even as important as the closed captioning person. That's so, like one, yeah, um, one of those jobs that you never would even think exists. Right. Yeah, and, you know, I also, like, did, uh, you know, like, lunch runs and stuff for the editors who were working in the production company on whatever show garbage. I'm talking, like, really bad stuff, like, Hogan knows best, Brooke knows best, like, the, the Hulk Hogan's daughter, that kind of show. Uh, yeah, it was really, really terrible. So, anyway, being on the inside and seeing how all of these reality TV shows are constructed and, like, 
overproduced and like all created and like you know seeing the raw footage even if i wasn't there out in the field i could hear the audio from all of the people who are like um actually take a few steps over to the other side and like uh you know they're just like setting up these situations trying to generate this fake drama so i even if i did watch any reality stuff before that as soon as i saw how it worked from the inside out i just couldn't i can't bring myself to watch any reality based thing uh ever again so um yeah i know typically reality tv is like the guilty pleasure stuff just because people like to sort of fall in and and you know get sucked into the uh the drama and stuff like that but i i just can't do it so so what ben's saying is he's looking down upon all of our answers no no it's not that it's just i'm if you guys had seen man i've seen some shit if you guys have seen what i've seen man, you know. things, man. i've seen some stuff <laughs> yeah. brad what is your guilty pleasure i've talked about this on the water cooler before because it just started a new season this summer uh i watched big brother and you're just gonna have to accept it and deal with it <laughs> It's uh, it, it's honestly it's a really fun show. It's um, I, I like the the interplay between like physical challenges and the mental and social game that comes with it. You know, like there's a lot of lying and deception that you have to do to actually get through the game. Um, you know, it's there's always something like crazy happening each week. Um, it's just it's a really fun show. Like it's it's by no means high quality television, but I always have fun watching it and. Yeah, it's just it's really fun right now. And for anybody else who who happens to watch who listens, I hate Cody. I'm so glad that he got evicted. <laughs> I'm so glad I don't get that reference. <laughs> Jack, what is your fa- favorite guilty pleasure? Uh, my favorite guilty pleasure, and I'm actually going to go with a tie, but Californication and Weeds. And like Ben, I don't have time for too many shows that I don't really like, but those are two shows that I didn't even finish, but I liked when they were first on until they both... Uh, went on for far too long, but I'll still find myself every now and then throwing on an episode and I'll feel guilty in the sense of I could probably be watching something else like more <laughs> enjoyable and better, but it's just so casually watchable. Like it just passes the time and every once in a while, especially the early episodes, there's fun to them, but I do feel a little bit of guilt when I watch those, even though I don't believe in guilty pleasures. That first season of Californication, I think is actually a good show. Yeah, I agree. The, um, se- the later seasons, not so much. <laughs> but uh, I still watched it. Yeah, you just don't need six or seven seasons about that kind of character. Yeah. Uh, okay, Brett A. asks, what can Marvel TV learn from the MCU as their latest shows have taken a sharp drop in quality since the MCU-Marvel split? Um, I'm not even sure what MCU-Marvel split he's talking about, but I think none of you watched Marvel television shows, right? Is that correct? That is correct. I- yeah, I haven't, watched, I haven't watched any of the Netflix shows. I used to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and then I gave up on it. Yeah. I gave up on Daredevil, too, after somewhere by the end of season two. Well, what what can Marvel TV learn from the MCU? I think they could learn to get rid of Jeff Loeb and have Kevin Feige oversee Marvel television. I think, uh, honestly, no, a re- real answer to that question, I think, is... Uh, and I guess I'm the only one that can answer this on this podcast. <laughs> um, they need to make this more fun. Uh, I don't think a lot of these shows are fun. Um, and I also don't think, you know, the hashtag, this is all connected or it's all connected or whatever the hell Jeff Loeb likes to say and pretend is real, but isn't, um, isn't real. Like I, I want to see it to be more connected. Like I would love to see agents of shield where like, 
it actually, you know, you got to see them cleaning up after, you know, stuff that happens in the movies. And it doesn't have to be, like, all about the movies, but, like, I want to actually feel like it's one world. And the fact that there's this division is the same reason why I have very little interest in the uh, the Sony Spider-Man ver- universe as well. So that would be my answer is make it fun and uh, let's actually make it connected and not just say say that. Um, and also, uh, we should just cancel that Inhuman show. It looks bad. Um, <laughs> I don't David- know what you're talking about. I think Inhumans looks fantastic. You can read Brad's article on Inhumans from Comic-Con where you can tell that he is kidding. Um, <laughs> okay, moving on. David R. asks, controversial, but what are some movies that you just don't understand people hating or loving? Love the podcast, by the way. Um, I'll start this out. Um, Man of Steel is a movie that I love and I don't understand... I understand why people don't love it, but I don't understand why people hate it. Now, I understand some of the liberties that Zack Snyder takes with the character later on, you know, uh, what he does to Zod uh, in, in, in the, the third act. But um, aside from that, I think it's a really good movie. I think um, the Krypton stuff is is very cool. I think the revisioning of the character is, is great. Um I don't know. It's just so visual, visual, and I don't know. I, I don't understand why people <laughs> hate it so much. Batman versus Superman, I understand a little bit more. I just want to mention a, se- a close second to this uh, that came to mind when I uh, was looking at this question, and that would be Dunkirk. That's a movie that's out in theaters now. <laughs> um, it's not that I hate it. It's just I don't understand why so many people love it. I the the filmmaking is to be admired watching this in an IMAX theater a real IMAX theater and seeing it in that expanded aspect ratio it's incredible as an experience but as a a storytelling experience to me it just falls apart and is a bore uh, i don't know who is who what is what what timeline is what you know how they're connecting it 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 seems like the device that Christopher Nolan uses is clever in theory, but it does. The only purpose of it is to confuse the audience, not connect them with the situation and story. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> done with my good Dunkirk rant. Uh, ben, to say during that, what oh, do, do you want to rebut this, Jack? I know you're a big fan of Dunkirk. Well, it's hard to rebut because I just feel like we had the completely opposite experience while watching it. Because like I love the structure of it and. A lot of people told me to just look at the title cards like when I went in and I appreciate the heads up because like I just I don't know. I, I didn't feel any confusion during that. And I thought it was a really clever way of taking a week and telling a larger story in a really efficient, lean way with that structure. Because if it just covered the week from beginning to end, I, I just don't think it would, would you know, keep sustain that tension. See, I knew about the structure going in and it sounded cool. And I, I uh was looking forward to it. That, that that aspect of it excited me the most. Um, but I, I don't know. Just not for me. Ben, what is uh, your movie? 
So I don't know if I'm going to be like saying anything incendiary to people on this very podcast. I don't know if we have any lovers of this movie on this podcast, but I despise with maybe every fiber of my being uh, love actually. Um, and that's not to say that I don't like Richard Curtis movies uh, about time, which was the movie he did or one of the movies he did after this. Um, it was my favorite movie of, I think, 2013. And like nobody really saw that movie. And it's also sort of sappy uh, and uh, you know, romantic in um, in a way different way than Love Actually. But I just, I can't stand this movie. I think uh, nothing about it. I, th- I just think it's so false all the way across. Um, and I don't know. There, Nothing rings true to me. All of the characters are uh, just so poorly drawn. And like the, the romance, the quote unquote romance that is in this movie is especially from um, what is his name? Andrew Lincoln's character is just straight up stalking. It's not, uh, it's not cute. It's not funny. This movie is, uh, is a disaster. I think. Um, I was going to add, it's interesting the response to that movie. I remember interviewing Richard Curtis and talking to him about love actually. And he was really surprised by just the love that movie has gone over the years. Cause when it came out, it wasn't very well received. And I think it even got really trashed in the UK. Well, those people know what's up as far as I'm concerned. But I know this movie has like a lot of people who are just head over heels for it. And I just I can't get on board with that. Yeah, I'm not yeah. I'm not a huge fan of love, actually. Uh, Brad, what is your movie? I don't understand why everybody hates love, actually. It's <laughs> not the, the biggest. Fan. No, I, was just, I mean, I was just kidding. No, um, no, I mean, I enjoy love, actually. But no, uh, the. I went with uh, a movie that I don't understand why everybody hated this movie. And I don't get why everyone hated Zoolander 2. I really am perplexed by it because I saw it and it's exactly what I want it to be. It's just as stupid and funny as the first one. It, it's just hilarious. I don't understand why people hate it so much. It's very enjoyable and it's exactly what I wanted from a Zoolander sequel after all these years. I was bored while watching this. Uh, I get bored listening to you, Peter. <laughs> obviously. Um, the one thing I do think is funny in that movie is uh, is uh, Mugatu's Playroom. Yes. That's see, great. See, I don't, I don't even remember that. That's how that's that, I, I've forgotten this movie. Yeah, it's almost something out of like the cell. Kiefer Sutherland is hilarious in that movie. <laughs> I forgot he was in that. That's right. <laughs> I mean, it's there's so many great things in that movie. Seriously, like just, uh, it's so funny. I feel like we're all gonna come back to Zoolander later and be like, you know what, we made a mistake. I, I would bet you money, Brad, that that's not gonna happen. <laughs> I would. <yeah. laughs> Jack, what is your movie? Uh, my pick is Rain of Fire, which is not even a movie. I think people hate. It's just a movie people don't even really talk about. And it was just a dud when it came out and didn't get good reviews. But I just think it's such a fun, self-aware B-movie. And you have, like, Matthew McConaughey just chewing the scenery like a beast in that. Like, I've been quoting his character for a few years every once, like, after I saw that movie. He's just so big in it. And I think Christian Bale's pretty good. But the dragon action's cool. Uh, I like the world. And I think there's just a lot of fun little details, like when they recreate Star Wars for, like, kids. Do you guys remember that scene? No. I don't remember it. It's cool. Yeah, I, I remember that at all. Yeah, it's just like um, obviously no TV or anything. So they rec- they tell a story to these kids like a play, and it's the story of Star Wars. Nice. Yeah, there's cool details like that, I, and that's a movie. If it's on cable, I'll definitely See, watch Jack, it. See, Jack, I just think you have a, a crush, a man crush on uh, 
uh, Matthew McConaughey. I, you're one of the few people I know that says the McConaughey sense is not over. It'll never end. Never end. I mean, <laughs> who delivers lines the way he does? I love his way with language. Moving on. Christopher <laughs> L. asks, who is going to replace Stephen Daldry when the Obi-Wan movie goes for extensive reshoots? Ben. Um, I, I was trying to come up with uh, the most milked toast director I can think of, the most sort of like boring, middle-of-the-road, average guy. Uh, and Peter, you suggested F. Gary Gray for me, and I think that's a good choice. He's, he's one of those guys that like, I mean, as evidenced by him stepping in to direct The Fate of the Furious, he is like one of those journeyman directors that just sort of uh, comes in and gets it done. But like, you can watch a bunch of his films and never know that they're F. Gary Gray movies. You know, he, he doesn't have like a unique visual style, but it's clear that he can go into a big franchise machine and get things taken care of and, and, you know, uh, steer the ship. So if that is uh, indeed what is going to happen with this <laughs> Obi-Wan movie, which I think we're joking about at this point, but really, I mean, looking at their Lucasfilm's recent history, it's not too much of a stretch to think yeah. that that might happen. Um, I think uh, if Ron Howard isn't busy, they might uh, be wise to call F. Gary Gray. Well, I think after Stephen Daldry gets replaced on the Obi-Wan movie, it should be by... Lord and Miller, because <laughs> we need an Obi-Wan comedy. No, uh, honestly, I, I don't know. I don't have a really good answer for this. I would like to see Luke Besson do a Star Wars movie because seeing uh, Valerian makes me want to see him do more sci-fi universe uh, world building kind of stuff. And I'm not very excited about this the idea of an Obi-Wan movie. So I'd love to see Luke Besson <laughs> take over the Obi-Wan movie. Brad, how about you? What was Lars von Trier? Now, that's a weird choice. Well, I mean, ideally what I would want to see happen is Lars von Trier just take it over and just turn it into a story about Obi-Wan Kenobi going on this crazy sex bender where, <laughs> he, where he just is hooking up with all sorts of like women and aliens and all this stuff because he's been you know, a Jedi this whole time and he finally has some freedom. There are no Jedi around. He doesn't have to really worry about Luke much. I just want to see him have some death sticks, get some some blue milk, make some blue Russians, and just go to town. Just just live your dream, Obi Wan. Well, they have to explain where Ray came from somehow, right? So maybe. <laughs> exactly. So and and maybe that's why it's such a big mystery. Obi Wan has slept with so many people. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> Okay, I think that might be the the uh, most unlikely out of the, out of the answers so far, and the winner for most likely goes to Jack. What is what is your suggestion? Uh, Lawrence Kasdan, who is clearly obviously in the Lucasfilm, you know, wheelhouse, and I mean, he's made so many great movies to me, and I, I mean, he, I mean, obviously, Darling Companion, Dreamcatchers, the last two were were pretty disappointing, but he's. I'm sure he's still got a great movie in him to direct, and I bet he could make a great Star Wars movie behind the camera. And the only reason he took he didn't take over Han Solo was because he was a producer and writer, and uh, there's DGA rules that prevent him from stepping in. So, so th this would make sense, especially if he's not involved. Uh, let's move on to a real question. Wendy wants to know what is the best political movie, uh, fictional. Or nonfiction. I'll start this out. Uh, I talked about Election the other day. 
the Matthew Broderick, Alexander Payne, Reese Witherspoon movie. I know it takes place in a high school and it's about a high school election, but I think it shows you politics on a macro level. And, um, uh, you know, and uh, it, it's just a great movie. It's one of my favorite movies. And uh, I'd also say the the documentary Bowling for Columbine by Michael Moore, which isn't so much about politics, but more about uh, – I mean, it's about politics. <laughs> but uh, um, I, I think that movie is underrated. I know a lot of people like to give Michael Moore crap nowadays, and I know that there are, you know, a couple – I don't want to say inaccuracies, but a uh, couple uh, things that you're not seeing the whole picture in that movie. But I, I, I think that is one of the best documentaries ever made. And I think it sh- goes to show you a lot about America, the political system, and our obsession with guns. Um, ben, how about you? Yeah, I would pick uh, The Ides of March, which is a movie that not a lot of people love. And I, I've only seen it, I think, maybe once or twice. But I, I remember really liking it when it came out in, I think, 2011. Uh, George Clooney directed this movie, and he stars in it with Ryan Gosling. Um, so I'd recommend checking that one out. It's it's a good, good sort of uh, behind-the-curtain look of, like, what it takes during, um, you know, like the scheming of, like, a, an election campaign. Uh, and I also didn't notice that this question said nonfiction too and another uh, option came to mind and that would be um, Citizen Four the documentary from 2014 mm-hmm. that was about uh, Edward Snowden and the NSA spying scandal that was like um, a pretty powerful a uh, pretty like jaw-dropping documentary I just I watching it I couldn't believe that they had cameras in there and were able to get that footage um, and, and sort of put that together the way that they did so uh, that I think one an Oscar for best documentary the next year. So, um, yeah, that would be my second choice. Uh, I went with Charlie Wilson's war, which I think is a sorely underrated movie. It's directed by Mike Nichols and written by Aaron Sorkin. And what I really like about it is it shows how effective the government can be when it comes together and does something right but then how ineffective and forgetful they are when it comes time to following up and following through on the decisions they've made. You, you see that like a lot of Congress doesn't even know what they're voting on. They don't follow through with a lot of things. And with Charlie Wilson's war, you really get to see how big of a mistake the American government made by you know helping in the situation, but then not sticking with it and making sure that it was wrapped up properly and he ended up creating, you know, an enemy that is still a problem for us today. My pick is Oliver Stone's JFK, uh, which is one of my favorite movies. And I know it's one that's been controversial ever since it came out, and there's a lot of debate over it. But a lot of with the debates over, I just never really care or think about when I watch that movie, um, the inaccuracies and all that. It's just such a epic movie, and just seeing all those different point of views and at like a three hour runtime it goes by so fast every time i watch it and great kevin costner performance you know i think um as that character is presented just like just a genuinely good person just trying to get to the truth like i like a lot of oliver stone movies are just about characters trying to get to the truth and i like how he makes that a heroic act in that movie okay guys we're down to our final two questions jacob asks if you could own one movie prop regardless of money what would it be my favorite movie is Back to the Future. I would pick the DeLorean time machine for sure. That, like, without a doubt. Ben, how about you? 
Um, if I drove a stick, I would say the 1961 Ferrari 250 GT California from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but I don't. So I'm going to say uh, Indiana Jones's whip because I'm pretty great with a whip, you guys. I don't know if you know. No, I'm not really. I've never used a whip before, but uh, I would also like just the idea of like hanging it on a hook on my wall and like having it in case I need it for anything. That's uh, yeah, that appeals to me. That's my only concern about owning a DeLorean time machine. It's like, even if, if you were going to drive that around, right? Well, first of all, it's only two seats, so it's very impractical. Uh, if you're going to drive that around, like people could just like key it, like, you know, you would have to, like, you can't even valet, like, where would you park that yeah. thing? Like, it, it would just be yeah, a problem. You'd have to hide Whatever it. Whatever the fuck you want, Peter, wherever you want. <laughs> okay, Brad, what, what would you have out of all the movie props? I also went with a vehicle, and I went with the Ecto-1 from Ghostbusters, a vehicle that is more practical than the DeLorean time machine because it fits, like, six people as well as proton packs and will get me through traffic very easily. <laughs> I guess, yes, it's it's a little bit more practical. Jack, what is your impractical answer? Uh- I was going to go with the alien egg from Alien, but hearing you guys talk about vehicles, I think I would actually go with the uh, Rumbler. I think that's what it's called from Batman Begins. The Tumbler. Oh, Tumbler, yeah. Tumbler. Okay. <laughs> I don't know where I got that from. I haven't watched it in a while, but the Tumbler. Yeah, I just think, you know, if a zombie apocalypse came, that'd be a good vehicle to have. <laughs> Jack's going to be laughing at Brad when Brad's, like, trying to put on his... Um... What, what do you call that? Sirens? And Jack is just like plowing through traffic in a stumbler. <laughs> Run right through that car. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All I'm, yeah, I'm going to do is cross the streams and, you know, that's it. Total particle reversal. Tumblr gone. Peace out. I'll just travel but, back in time and then I'll yeah. be there before all of you guys. So, and, and ben, ben will just be on. The- through with a whip. Just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For our last and final question, Kevin asks, what's the coolest moment you've experience while writing about movies um so i don't think he means like what's the coolest moment while i've been behind a computer writing about movies because there hasn't been many cool (laughs) moments that have happened at the during that time but i think he means like working on this job what what's the coolest moment that this job has afforded us and uh i'm not ready to tell this full story in public yet but um but the coolest moment i have experienced in in the uh 13 to 14 years about writing uh, writing about movies was uh, meeting Steven Spielberg, and he came up to me and shook, grabbed my hand, and said, "Thank you, Peter." Like that, like mind blown for for a kid who grew up on you know on movies created by this man, thanking me. Um, it was just one of the. I mean, it's it's not only the one of the coolest moments I experienced when writing about movies. It's one of the coolest moments of my life. So. Yeah, that that's it. And uh, someday I will be able to tell that story, but, but I, I don't feel like right now is the time. I'll tell the story. <laughs> Go for it. And, uh, <laughs> Brad, you, you've also met Steven Spielberg. I did. I was going to put that down. Uh, mine wasn't quite as uh, fantastic or grand as yours was, but uh, I met him when he happened to be a surprise attendee at Sundance um, because – uh, his godson Jake Paltrow had a movie at Sundance and he was in the audience and I went up to him afterwards and just introduced myself and you know told him how much my his work meant to me I'm sure he gets that a thousand times a day I doubt it and what is your choice if that's not your choice 
Oh yeah. So my real choice uh, choice then is I um, is visiting the set of Captain America: Civil War. Um, I happened to be on set when they were shooting part of the airport brawl, which is the you know biggest sequence in the movie. Um, unfortunately, all of the Avengers weren't there on that day for filming, but all of Team Captain America was there, and so we got to see them running. Brad, Brad what are you talking about? I saw them running at each other. Well, there's this thing called movie magic. <laughs> uh, it's kind of complicated. How long? How much time do you have for me to explain? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, I think we get it. But, but yeah, so all of Team Captain America running uh, towards Team Iron Man to begin their their big fight. Uh, it was just it was such a cool experience because even though they weren't all there filming that day, we did pretty much get to interview every single uh, person who was in that movie. Uh, I think the only two people we didn't talk to were Paul Bettany and Scarlett Johansson. But uh, yeah, it was just it's it's crazy to be there and to see you know these actors dressed up as superheroes in front of you, bringing you know the comic books you read to life. And it's it's a super surreal experience, uh, and it's 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 just crazy, you know, being in with all of them and talking to them, and yeah, it was, and it, I, it was insane. And I think that's one of the most iconic moments in modern blockbuster history. Um, I've been on a lot of sets, and I have not been a part of watching one of those moments take place in front of me. Uh, so I'm jealous. Uh, ben, what is your pick? Yeah, so I called an audible here at the last second. Uh, I met Bill Murray one time uh, during the press junket for The Monuments Men, which is an, another movie that nobody really saw. Um, and, but I, it has a special place in my heart for being the movie that got me uh, close enough to Bill Murray to introduce myself, shake my hand, and tell him that he was my comedy hero. Um, he was way, he was very cool and like way more um, soft spoken than uh, his larger than life. Um, reputation might lead you to believe but uh it was just a cool moment for me being able to um you know just express my fandom and like a, a a business you know without like fully geeking out on him i was proud of myself but uh but yeah meeting bill murray i mean how does it get better than that how many times I do you think... Think... was Go that ahead. i was gonna Go say how, how many times do you think bill murray hears that a day <laughs> probably a lot <laughs> i uh I didn't get to really talk to him, but I did. I did a real fanboy thing at Comic Con because uh, Bill Murray was there one year, and I think for some reason they were promoting Rock the Casbah at Comic Con that yeah. year. Oh yeah. And he, Bill Murray, when he left the panel, he just walked straight down the center aisle of Hall H, like, and like was like shaking hands with everybody on his way out, and I was like. I'm gonna I'm gonna go shake hands with Bill Murray. Like, why the fuck? <laughs> the fuck would I? I don't know when I'll get to see Bill Murray. And so, like, I went over there and just you know, like, shook his hand and said said hi. And he, that that was that was it. It's just like, yeah, it's fucking Doctor Rankman. <laughs> you know, for next Comic Con, we should really put together a top ten weirdest movies that were you know promoted at Comic Con yeah. list. Because That'd be a good one. yeah, uh, Jack, what is your pick? Uh, my pick is uh, Tony Gilroy. I did a, a phone interview with him when I was in college, and it's just like a small thing that just makes me smile in that um, the interview was running behind, and it kind of the time got all mixed up, and I was in between classes, and I got a call from him about rescheduling, but I mentioned I was at school at the time, and before the call ended, I remember there's a pause, and he just said, get to class, and... <laughs> I just to this day I just still just delight in the fact that I had Tony Gilroy say get the class. <laughs> Anyways, if you want to submit questions to the mailbag, usually we're only going to do one of these a day, not this whole uh, 
this whole pile of questions, uh, send them to peter at slashfilm.com. Uh, you can find more of my work at slashfilm, at slashfilm on Twitter. You can find Ben on Twitter at Ben Pears. You can find Brad on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton and his podcast on iTunes called Go Flix Yourself. And Jack, we can find you on Twitter at Jack GI. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, you can find all of this and more at slashfilm.com. We'll see you tomorrow. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER and partnership with MGM Northfield Park.